I think we could just go home after that. <laughs> we could call it complete. Wow. <clears throat> I've been encouraged this morning already by a couple of young ladies in my Sunday school, so you, I just know that I am prayed up and encouraged. Thank you, Kendall and Abigail. That was very encouraging. And I know Brother Bitch is keeping an eye on me. He told me he would be. So I think I'm prayed up and ready to go here. A couple of things I want to do today. I want to have two points to the sermon. One of them is a hopefully practical way to help you study Scripture. I know I need all the help I can get. Um, this Scripture that I've been chewing on, I've been working on it for a long time. And those of you in my Sunday school, pay attention here, we've covered this. And ever since then, I've had to work this Scripture over and over in my mind, trying to put my head around it. For those of you that know me, you know that I'm very visual. I think through the logistics of things, how things work, what scale things are, and how, how to process all of this and make it make sense. So for those of you that know me, know that I would wrestle with this Scripture. There's a lot going on in it. So with that, I found something that helped me process this Scripture, all Scripture, and has been very convicting. So I want to ask you this. Have you ever taken one of those tests, or maybe with your children or grandchildren, where you look at a picture, and you have to study the picture for a minute, 30 seconds, something like that. And you have to look at everything in the picture, and you only get a set amount of time, and then you have to turn the page. And then you have to try and remember what's on that, what's missing, what parts of that's a little different. What did you forget? What did you not see? What are you not remembering was on that? Our mind plays tricks on us. Sometimes we connect the dots that aren't there, and sometimes we forget to connect the dots that are there. To push this a little further, a while back we were watching television, and it was a show on Discovery or Learning Channel, one of those. And it was very interesting. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a visual guy, right? So I see these things. So this, this television show is about, they're going to show us this scene. You have to watch this scene. And you're going to be quizzed about this. So I got this. I got this covered. So we watched the scene, and I knew nothing. I was totally lost. What happened in the scene? Who was doing what? Who said what? Who had what color shirt on? And so I was totally lost as to what happened. But yet our mind tries to connect the dots. We think we know what we see, and we think we know what we read. What we read. Well, honestly, it was very convicting as I found myself doing this when I read Scripture. When I read God's Word of all things to be tuned in on, to be focused on, to be paying attention, I found myself skimming it, checking the box. I read my Bible for the day. I'm good. Then after thinking about this and the convicting Scripture that I've been chewing on for weeks, months now, and then going back and rereading it and realizing that the way I process things really isn't very important. What is important is what does God's Word say? What does it say? If it's important, it's in there. Now, I think we have to be real careful not to read things in as we're reading Scripture. But we want to be very astute of what it is saying. Now, Chris and I didn't plan this, but as God is sovereign, um, you've heard the Scripture read today already. And you've heard Chris pray it. And so now here's your warning. There's going to be a test. All right, so pay attention. 
If you're like me, you may get distracted easily. And if you ask my wife, sometimes I don't always listen either. So pay attention and listen. There will be a test. All right, and I have, there's a mistake here. I gave Jonathan the wrong scripture. I'm going to be starting in actually uh, Matthew 14, verse 13. So if you will turn in your Bibles, this is a hint, turn in your Bibles to follow along. And if you don't have a Bible in the Pew Bible, it's on page 12 in the New Testament. All right. Now, when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate, and the hour is already late, so send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking toward heaven, he blessed the food and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over in the broken pieces, twelve full baskets. There were about five thousand men who ate besides women and children. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. While he sent the crowds away, and after he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone, but the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You have little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. When they had crossed over, they had come to the land of Gennesaret, and when the men of that place recognized him, they sent word into all the surrounding district. And brought to him all who were sick. And they implored him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak. And as many as touched it were cured. Now if you were given a test, what would you remember? What parts of that would you remember? What stands out in your mind? I remember the first time I read through all of this and then started thinking about it later on that day and in the week. Well, you know, I know he fed uh, 5,000 people, but was it 5,000 people? We don't know. We don't know how many people it was. And he had some bread and some fish. He had six loaves and three, no, it was five, it was two fish and, well, he had some bread and some fish. Until we remember that, right? So he fed, fed everyone with this. And then not only did he do that, but there was 
12 baskets full left over. So those are things we remember. Oh, and then we remember that he walked on water and that Peter tried to walk on water and then they got back in the boat. And that's kind of where I was with it. Those are the big, big items. And so in my mind, I'm trying to think about how in the world do you feed all these people? Where do they all sit? How do they serve this? Where do they get the baskets? How far was he from shore? How far did he have to walk? How could they see him in the storm? And the reality is none of that's really important. What's important is what God's Word says, and we need to read it and understand it. And we don't know for sure the timeline of what, when this took place or how long it took. Based on what I believe I discerned from this, it happened within an 18- to 24-hour period from the beginning of, this, of where we're starting in 13 through all the way through the end. And so that's basically a day. It's a long day, but it's a day. And all the things that happened within that day. Do you remember that it started with Jesus wanting to be alone? Why do you want to be alone? There's mourning the loss of John, his predecessor, the very man that baptized him. Jesus was fully man. He was mourning the loss of his companion. And then he goes ashore, and there's a large crowd. And he felt compassion for them and healed their sick. See, he set aside his own wants, his own needs, his own heartbreak for his people to minister and teach and cure and heal his people. In this time of sorrow, he was selfless. What an example. Continuing, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate and the hour is already late, so send the crowds away that they may go into the village and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. He didn't ask if they had any food or how much food they had. He just said, Give them something to eat. You see, I think we perceive many times what is inadequate is actually in an over and abundance of what we truly need. And what is required. And then they said to him, We have only five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. And then, ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food. And breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces twelve full baskets. And here we are. There were about 5,000 men who ate besides women and children. I think, once again, instead of sending them away, he shows them the ultimate hospitality. He seats them and feeds them, breaks bread with them. I believe this is more than just an example of feeding the people, just sustaining their bodies. I believe this is a great example in a picture of the gospel from God through Christ to his disciples comes the life of his word the sustaining word God's word and it's not just adequate it comes in an abundance 
Again, his perfect example is he gives thanks to God for every blessing, for every provision. He not only sustains us, but again, he provides for us in an overabundance. I think we sometimes lament about something before we even know what the outcome is. We think that it's already inadequate, it's not going to be enough, and we need to be patient. It is in God's timing, not ours. Be still. One of my favorite passages is Philippians 4.19, and it says, And my God will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Continuing, immediately he made disciples get into the, into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. What does that have to do with anything? Think about the disciples. Where were they? What were they doing all day? It says that Christ was alone or he wanted to be alone, so he, got, he escaped in a boat. Where were the disciples? Do you think that they heard that the crowds were going to this place where Jesus was going? And so they were trying to herd the crowd off? To give Jesus time? Do you think they were with the crowd? Do you think they were nervous about the gathering of these people where Christ was going and he was trying to be alone? So they were nervous about this. They were upset. And then Christ comes and then Christ immediately steps in and just starts healing the sick, ministering to his people. So what do the disciples do? Well, they jump in. Well, this is what we're doing. So they do that. They bring people. They organize people. They organize the food. They serve the food. They pick up the food. And at the end of the day, what does Christ do? You know, these guys were spent. They were exhausted mentally, physically. And what does he do? Does he say, send the crowds away so I can go be alone? He sends the disciples. He says, you guys go. Go to the other side. He has a compassion for his brothers. In his time and desire of mourning and want to be away, he's still thinking of his brothers. So he sends them away. And then after he sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountains by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. The day started, and this is where Jesus wanted to be, was alone, mourning his brother John. And throughout the day, all of these other things came up, and he set himself aside, his his wants, his needs. He was selfless and had compassion for his people. And then extended that compassion to his disciples. And now he has time alone. Let me ask you this. It's convicting to me. How much time do you spend alone in prayer? How many times in a week are you intentional about being alone in prayer? Just you and God. It must be important. It was important to Christ. Throughout all the distractions of the day, it was forever in the back of his mind as that's what he wanted to do and what he needed to do. And he did it. You know, he's fully man. You know, he had fatigue. You know, he was tired. You know, he was hungry. But yet he was purposeful in spending time alone in prayer with his father. Continuing, the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And just a side note here, because of the elevation of the Sea of Galilee and the topography around it, storms, gales would blow up, and it was very common to have a storm on the lake. So this wasn't unusual. But they were already a long distance from shore. And it says, In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. 
And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, if you're like me, I'm pretty critical of the disciples pretty regularly. They were with Christ. They were in His presence. And yet they had doubt. And as I've been chewing on this scripture, I expressed this to my brother George and with a very kind admonishment. He said, yeah, but we have the whole Bible. Good point. What's my excuse? But Jesus was performing a miracle that these guys had visually never seen. Had never done anything like this. He was walking on water. And so as they witnessed this, it's hard to blame them for being afraid. They'd never seen this. What was this? And so for them to think outside of the realm of reality of what worldly things are, they thought spiritual world, ghost. You can't blame them for that. They'd never seen this. I can't fathom what I would think. And I know the story. But even after Christ calls to them, there is still some doubt. Peter asks, if, not Christ, it's you. He says, if, if it's you. That called to him and he would come. Of course, Peter's showing great faith, as Peter has the tendency to do. Jump in with both feet and ask questions later. Literally here, he steps out on the water. Great faith in Christ. I know it's you, Christ. I'll come. And as Peter is approaching Jesus and walking on the water, he was fine as long as he kept his focus on Christ. As long as he didn't turn away, as long as he kept his focus on Christ, he was fine. But what happened? What do we do? We get distracted by the world things around us, the prince of darkness, the distractions of life, of work, of kids, financial. How many distractions do we have to not keep our focus on Christ? The second he became distracted, he started to sink. And he started to panic. But what did he do? Did he turn and swim to the boat? No. He called out to Christ. And what did Jesus do? Immediately, immediately, as Peter was being swallowed up by the sea, he reached out. I mean, what a perfect example. If we will follow as His people... If we will reach out to Christ when we start sinking, when we start panicking, when we start letting the world come in on us, come crashing in on us, being distracted from what our focus should be, should be on Christ, we should always call on Christ.
I think for Peter, it was pretty typical. And I hope it would be for us as well. As, as the world comes in around us and we lose our focus, Christ is calling to us always through the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. They didn't have that yet. We have that. He's constantly calling us. And so He is there. When we get distracted, when we lose focus, all we got to do is call, and immediately He will come. Continuing, when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped Him, saying, You are certainly God's Son. Did He rebuke the storm? His mere presence calmed the storm. The fact that He wanted the storm to be calmed, it was calmed. Did you miss that when we read through it? I suspect he was tired. It had been a long day. It's in the fourth watch. And he steps in the boat and he just says, that's all I need. Just calm the storm. Let's go to the other side. Continuing, when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent word into all the surrounding district and brought to him all who were sick. And they implored him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak, and as many as touched it were cured. A couple of things here. We're reminded of the woman who was cured of her ills. Just if she had the faith to touch his cloak, she would be healed. These people had the same faith. But as we're kind of starting over where we began, it's the beginning of a new day. We're 18 to 24 hours into this. And Christ starts again ministering to His people, teaching His people, healing His people, saving His people. So I hope you were challenged as I, when you read Scripture, to slow down. Don't just check the box. I I would encourage you, yes, to read the Bible through in a year is fantastic. But what if it takes you five years? God's economy, that's okay. So if you're like me and you become distracted easily and you get on rabbit trails, then I would encourage you to slow down as you read Scripture. Read all of Scripture. Try to understand the context of it. What the Word is telling us. So as we went back through this, how did you do? Did you pass the test? Did you remember all of the little things that were missing? The things that were not obvious? Well, I tell you this and encourage this. I don't have it figured out. I was convicted by this, and I hope you will be too as well, to read Scripture in a different way, in a different light. We have wonderful expository teaching here with Chris and Blair. And they tell us how to read Scripture, how to study Scripture, but we need to be reminded. And so that's what this is. I told you there was two parts. One practical, and one the application of, I hope. That's the practical side of the sermon today. I would encourage you and hope that you are convicted to slow down, understand, meditate on Scripture. It took us less than three minutes to read this Scripture. Do you have three minutes in a day? And then do you have 20 minutes in a week to process it? Okay, an hour. Some of us are a little slow. It took me several weeks. 
whatever it takes, I encourage you to do that. All right, the last half. Now, this may be a little confusing for some of you. You might be saying, what in the world does the title have to do with anything we've talked about? Well, hopefully you'll remember it this way. I'm putting it at the end. And that is the application of Scripture and what we've read in all Scripture that you read. And I hope and pray that you find identity in it. So the title is, What is Your Ethos? The definition of ethos is the distinctive character, spirit, and attitudes of a people. The distinctive character, spirit, and attitudes of a people. If we are the people of God, if we are to accept His Word as the whole truth that is complete and adequate for every situation and circumstance, if we believe that, then we must not just practice what it says, we must believe it completely and have a hunger for it. For all of Scripture is profitable for our salvation and our sanctification. So I would ask you this, what is your ethos? When people ask, who are you and what are you about? What what comes to your mind first? Is it your profession? Is it your allegiance to a school? Is it your political party? What comes to mind first? What is your motto? What is your code? What is your ethos? Do you ask, what is my distinctive character? What is it that I identify with? My hope and my prayer and even challenge is that your ethos would be that you are a follower of Jesus Christ first. That your distinctive character is found in Him by the understanding and application of His Word in your life. That by faith in Him, you have been saved. So I challenge you to think about that this week. What is your ethos? What do you find your identity in? What distinguishes you to others? Will you pray with me? Father, I I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for the depth and breadth and completeness of your word. Father, I just pray for myself and everyone here that you would um, be with us as we're in your word. Father, I pray that you would convict us to be in your word, be in your word daily. Father, we would take your word and that we would meditate on it, that we would digest it. Father, we would apply it to our lives. And Father, that we would um, have a hunger to know more about it. Father, I pray that we would have the faith of Peter. 
And that once we know that you, who you are and what you are, and that you have died for our sins, Father, that we would come to you. Father, we would call out to you in our time of need. And Father, I pray for those who are here that might not understand completely, might not know you, Father, might not understand the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus, Father, that you would uh, convict them, that you would encourage them, that you would draw them in to your word, Father, for the truth of your word, that you would bring them into the fold, Father, that you would call them, and they would be your people. Father, I pray for um, this body for this week. Father, I pray that we are convicted by the truth of your word. Father, that we would identify with you. Father, that we would be bold Christians. Father, we would carry out your commandments and your great commission and share with the lost. Father, I pray all of these things. In Lord Jesus' name, amen.